Hello and welcome back to Stop and Go F1 for this, the weekly news video. And my god, there is a lot of news to go through. Let me just run you through some of the headlines we've had this week. So, we have all of the Toto Susie Wolf FIA stuff to go through. And trust me, we'll get into all of that very very quickly. Uh, we've also got some Ferrari contract speculation. We have got the sprint calendar for this year announced. Uh, some news surrounding the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, and then there's some other stuff around uh, some of some uh, junior drivers uh, from F2 as well. Literally, like throughout the week, as news stories come in that I want to talk about on the Saturday video, I put them into the notes app on my phone. And by about halfway through this Wednesday, I was like, wow, that's enough news for quite a long video this Saturday. And then the news didn't stop coming out. So we've got a lot to cover this morning. Uh, the biggest news story, though, of course, is the world's worst Christmas tree is here for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. How awful does that look? Um, also, uh, you may wonder, oh, we'll see that on the Advent calendar videos then, won't we? No, no you won't, because the Advent Calendar videos were pre-recorded two weeks ago. Thanks for all the love on the Advent Calendar videos, by the way. Of course, we have got a couple more weeks of Advent Calendar videos to go through. If you haven't checked them out already, we've got a $100 custom F1 Advent Calendar, and so far it's going pretty good, so check out those videos. There is a playlist available if you've missed them all. Also, yesterday a video came out of me predicting, not sorry, my, my reactions to my initial predictions for the season. When I was recording that, my audio corrupted, which isn't great. Um, and the audio that I've had to use is the audio from the camera rather than the audio from the microphone. So the audio is terrible for that video, but I thought it'd be better to have my actual reaction then record it again and have a fake reaction with good audio. So if you if you can get past the bad audio, the reactions to the season prediction video is out there. But this is a news video, so let's talk about some bloody news. And let's start with the biggest news story of the week, which is the FIA Toto Wolf Susie Wolf stuff. So <clears throat> this started. I think either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So the initial story was that Mercedes team principal Toto Wolff and his wife Susie Wolf are under investigation as the FIA opens a compliance investigation due to potential conflicts of interest. This was surrounding uh, how Susie Wolf is head of the F1 Academy and has close contact within F1 and Toto Wolf is of course the team principal and part owner of the Mercedes F1 team and could information be going between the two of them that they shouldn't necessarily know. Now, the suggestion is that Toto Wolf has access to confidential information about the activities of FOM, which rival team bosses do not have, while Susie is well briefed on team principal discussions, which can be of use to FOM. Now, initially, when this story first arose, I read that it was surrounding how Toto knew about the Red Bull cost cap stuff before anyone else. Because if you remember Singapore last year, before the official announcement was made that Red Bull had breached the con had a minor breach of the cost cap in 2021, Toto Wolf was in the media saying that he knew that a team had broken the cost cap. Uh, now that, I think, could be 
investigated because he shouldn't have known that and no one else knew that and he did so i thought that was where this was coming from but if that was where this was coming from it would have nothing to do with susie wolf because i i don't think f1 academy was even a thought at that time and susie wolf definitely was not the head of f1 academy at singapore last year so i was a bit confused as to where this was coming from but it appears it's not necessarily about that red bull cost cap breach it's just about in general could Tosa Wolf and Susie Wolf be sharing information? Anyway, Susie Wolf put out a statement at the time saying, I am deeply insulted but sadly unsurprised by the public allegations that have been made this evening. It is disheartening that my integrity is being called into question in such a manner, especially when it seems to be rooted in my uh, in intermediary and misogynist behavior and focused on my maternal uh, marital status rather than my abilities throughout my career in motorsport i have encouraged over and overcome numerous obstacles and i refuse to let this baseless ackless, ackless, oh my god baseless allegation overshadow my dedication and passion for f1 academy as a woman in this sport i have faced my fair share of challenges but my committee to breaking down my commitment to breaking down barriers and paving the way for future generations to succeed remains unwavering in the strongest possible terms i reject these allegations now i haven't read that very well but i feel the point uh, came across um so yes susie wolf very much adamantly saying this is a load of rubbish. Then, out of this, a secondary story arose, basically out of nowhere, that one of the teams had complained to the FIA that they thought this was happening. Now, that was never stated in any FIA uh, briefing about this, but somehow that became the story, that an F1 team or an F1 team principal had complained about them. Uh, and obviously, when it's something about Mercedes, all fingers point to Red Bull being the ones to complain. But not long after the question of who has complained started, did every single F1 team put out a statement saying it definitely wasn't us. Christian Horner was actually at the Sky Sports office at the time. He's recorded a uh, Sky Sports F1 podcast Q&A thing. He was there. So he actually went on Sky Sports and made a statement saying we haven't raised an official complaint either about Susie, Toto or Mercedes to the FIA. This is nothing to do with Red Bull. So it became very clear from there on out that no team had actually made a complaint. I then saw people suggesting, oh, well, it still was Red Bull. They're just not going to say it was them, which is just the most ridiculous thing I ever heard because let's say hypothetically it was Red Bull who raised a complaint. And then they said, no, it wasn't us who raised the complaint. The FIA would not have to do much to then prove that it was Red Bull who raised the complaint. So it became very clear to most people with brain cells that this had nothing to do with any other team. Following this, the FIA then said, uh, the FIA have confirmed their investigation to a team boss and a FOM employee, not even naming Toto or Susie Wolf. They then confirmed it is over. They said the FIA can confirm that there is no ongoing investigation into terms of ethical or disciplinary inquiries involving any individual. So then it was just all over. This whole thing that blew up was just done. And then Susie Wolf put out another statement. I'll try and read this one a little bit better. When I saw the statement issued by the FIA yesterday evening, my first reaction was, is that it? For two days, uh, 
insulations have been made about my integrity in public and throughout background briefings, but nobody in the FIA has spoken to me directly. I might have been collateral damage and an unsuccessful attack on somebody else or the target of a failed attempt to discredit me personally, but I have worked too hard for my reputation called into question by an unfounded press release. We have come a long way as a sport. I was extremely thankful for the unified support of the F1 teams. I have worked with so many passionate women and men in F1 and the FIA who have the very best of interests of our sport at heart. However, this episode has so far taken place without transparency or accountability. I have received online abuse at my work um, about my work and my family. I will not allow myself to be intimidated and intend to follow up until I have found out who has instigated this campaign and misled the media. What happened this week is simply not good enough as a sport. Uh, we must demand uh, and we deserve better, which is a very good point. Now, you may think, well, that's over. But no, it continues. Uh, Andrew Benson, who's the BBC F1 uh, guy, he put out, uh, uh, not a statement, but he put out like a tweet, I think, I think it was just what a tweet, saying that Mercedes could seek compensation from the FIA for reputational damage uh, its actions have inflicted on the company this week. And also, this also led to senior figures within F1 also questioning the judgment of FIA President Mohammed Ben Suleiman. Uh, Suleiman, Suleiman, let's go with that. I, sorry if I mispronounced that there. And this is what I think this entire story is really about. The FIA president, Mohammed Ben Suleiman. Because not long goes by when that man doesn't open his mouth and say something controversial. He very much likes to be the centre of attention, whether that be on the grid, on the podium, in the press, whatever it may be. And I have a sneaking suspicion that at some point, Toto Wolf has upset him. I don't know when this was, I don't know what it could be, but I really don't think he likes Toto Wolf. Because whenever he seems to talk... It does seem to be very much against Toto Wolf, and yes, I think this might if if I was going to say this might be the beginning of the end for him as FIA president, but I think the beginning of the end started quite a while ago because it has not been great for him. And realistically, uh, if we're looking at a finger to point at someone who's complained. I think it's him. I don't think it's a team principal. I don't think it's an F1 team. I think it would be Mohammed Ben Sulayem complaining about that. Um, yeah, I think all roads lead to him in this story because he does seem to be very much against Toto Wolf a lot. I'm not necessarily saying he's against the Mercedes team or that he's biased against the Mercedes teams. I don't think that's true. I just don't think he likes Toto. I don't know what Toto's done to to upset him. Um, then, this story's still not over, by the way, because Mercedes then put out a statement, and their statement came from the desk of Toto Wolf, saying, We understand that there is significant media interest in the events of this week. We are currently in active legal exchange with the FIA. We await full transparency about what took place and why, and have expressed... Uh, expressly reserved all legal rights. Therefore, we ask for your understanding that we will not be com commenting officially for now, but we will certainly address the matter in due course. So, 
Mercedes will look for legal compensation for this and will probably win. Um, and I think Mohammed bin Soyam will not be FIA president come Bahrain next year because this is just another thing on top of another thing. And I think a lot of the F1 teams are done with him, especially with the whole Andretti situation because as much as I want Andretti on the grid, and I do think they will be on the grid this time next year, um, it's very much been... Mohammed Ben Sulaim as the head of the FIA going, look, we've allowed them in. The evil F1 teams won't allow them in. And very much trying to pit the fans against the teams. And I think the teams are done. I've just dropped my pen on the floor. I think uh, a lot of the FIA are done with him because they just want to get on with their job. And every couple of weeks he releases some press statement which causes some massive uproar. So, yeah, I think he is done there uh this whole thing was a bit ridiculous i think it's disrespect disrespectful to both toto and susie and the f uh, and the mercedes in general and i'm glad that this bit of it is over i won't say i'm glad it's over because it probably isn't <sighs> moving on now to ferrari talk and uh gazetta has reported this week that Ferrari and Charles Leclerc have agreed a five-year contract extension which will see Charles remain at Ferrari until 2029, which I believe would then be the longest contract on the grid. So I think Max's with Red Bull runs out in 2028. The official announcement apparently is imminent. This story came out at the start of the week and they followed, they followed it on by saying there are some doubts regarding Carlos Sainz's situation. Carlos would like to renew for at least two years, but Ferrari could opt for a one-year extension only to continue monitoring opportunities in the driver markets, i.e. Lando Norris and McLaren in 2025. This was then followed up a few days later by saying that Ferrari is now closer to offering Sainz a two-year contract as they are satisfied with the current driver lineup and do not want to disrupt that driver lineup in the coming years. So I would not be surprised to see Charles Leclerc getting that five-year extension. The big question will be, will the Sainz contract, contract extension be two years or just the one? I'm going to close my curtains for a second because the sun is disputing my lighting. There we go. That is much better. Move that chair up the way. Right, so yeah, uh, Charles will probably sign a five-year deal very soon. For, uh, the science one is the, the questionable one. I mean, you know, I'm not surprised that Ferrari are offering uh, sign, sorry, Leclerc such a big deal because he is fantastic and has done fantastic for them. Uh, the real question is, does Charles want to stay? And I think he does. He loves Ferrari with all of his heart, despite the pain it has caused him. I think any other driver might be looking elsewhere, but I think Leclerc loves Ferrari so much that he wants. Uh, with Science, he's a really interesting one because, you know, there's been moments this year where he's been absolutely fantastic. There's been moments this year when he's been pretty average. I think he's been uh, had more good races than bad races, but he's a name that you see thrown around everywhere. Like, there's speculation of him going to Audi, there's speculation of him going back to McLaren, there's speculation of him going everywhere. So... He's a real questionable one. If I was Ferrari, I'd try and get a one-year deal of him and then see where the drive market is in a year's time. Because the real question about Ferrari is if Sainz went, who would you replace him with? And I don't think someone like Lando would go to Ferrari. I don't think he would necessarily fit with Ferrari either. But if you look at the grid, because I've been working on a video of like um, predicting the driver lineups for next year, 
I looked at the grid, I was like, who realistically out of these people would go to Ferrari? And on the grid, I don't think there's any people who you could realistically say in a couple of years they'll be in a Ferrari because they just don't necessarily fit. Now, Sainz wasn't a name I expected to go to Ferrari in the first place when he went a few years ago, but there isn't really anyone there. The only person I can see going to Ferrari next would be someone like an Ollie Behrman who's in F2 in the Ferrari Academy and they have high hopes for him, but he won't be going in a Ferrari for like a minimum of like three years. So realistically, offering Sainz a two-year contract, then seeing where your, your Ferrari youth drivers are at that point, that could be a good step forward for the team. Right, next story, sprints. Everyone loves the sprints, don't they? You love them especially. You said the sprints were your favourite part of the F1 season. Well, good news for you, because the sprint calendar for 2024 has been announced. And it is China, Miami, Austria, Austin, Brazil and Qatar. So uh, Baku and Spa are out, China and Miami are in. And this is an interesting one because, you know, the Chinese race has been on the calendar for the last couple of years and has to and has to uh, be cancelled due to COVID both years. So to put a sprint race on there, that's a lot more to cancel if that one comes around. But, you know, the Chinese Grand Prix is looking more uh, positive this year, not positive in terms of COVID, positive in terms of looking like it's going to happen. So, yeah, you know, it's been a while since we've been to China why not put a sprint race on there? It's a, it's a good track. I like it. We'll see how that goes. The Miami one's an interesting one because, you know, it's one of those tracks where they release the statistics and they go, look, we've had a million overtakes this weekend. It's like, well, that's good, but we didn't actually see any of them and that would have been nice nice to happen. So, well, that could be a good sprint. You see, the thing is when it's like what tracks make good sprints, it's just like, you know, tracks where overtakes are possible. And Miami and China are tracks where overtakes are possible. Uh, Austria is possibly the best sprint race track. If you're going to have, if you want to categorize tracks as in terms of that's a good sprint race track. Austin had a dreadful sprint race this year. But in history, it's been a track where you can overtake. So realistically, it should be a good one. Brazil has produced some fantastic ones. Qatar is always up in the air. So, you know, sprint races are sprint races. And... I don't really know how I feel about them. They're definitely not going anywhere. But, you know, like when they announced Spa last year, I was like, what the hell are you doing there? But all of these, I think, yeah, they could work. Anything could work apart from like a Spa, Monaco, Hungary sprint race. Let's avoid them. But news now about the Spanish Grand Prix. Because Madrid has won the deal to host the Spanish Grand Prix from 2026 onwards, the race will take place on a semi-permanent track around the IFEMA Convention Centre, close to Barajas Airport. This is a Madrid uh, street track now, with a deal that will be in place for 10 years. This was reported by Joe's Award on Twitter. And yeah, this is an interesting one, because the conversation around this is so interesting and i think perfectly shows how you can't really rely on f1 twitter because if you go on f1 twitter and you talk about the circuit to catalonia which we have currently as the spanish grand prix everyone says it's dreadful for years everyone has said it's dreadful everyone has said it's one of the worst tracks on the calendar it's awful they got rid of the chicane it's improved a little bit but still 
everyone says it's dreadful and everyone hates it. Then this week, F1 go, okay, you've said it's dreadful for years, we're going to go somewhere else. And everyone goes, oh no, what are you doing? It's like, oh my, it drives me mad how you, people like to just tend to go straight to the negativity on everything. Anything that happens in F1, the mass conjecture that I see, people go to the negative straight away. So everyone's been saying how dreadful this track is for years. The FIA go, okay, we'll change it. Then they go, oh no, that's also, that's also dreadful. This track that we haven't seen and, you know, we have no idea how it's going to be. That's also dreadful. It's the same people who said the Las Vegas track's going to be dreadful. And then once Las Vegas race happened and it was quite good, they all went very quiet. So I guess don't knock these things until we've actually seen them. The Spanish Grand Prix has been dull for decades. So to change it up a little bit, I don't mind. I've also seen people be like, there's too many street tracks. Like, does it matter? Does that realistically matter? Of course, having a good mix of legitimate tracks and street tracks is good. But, you know, I don't think a street track is any less than anything else. You know, we've had some great races in Baku. We had a great race just in Las Vegas. Australia has offered some good races in the past. Monaco is also there. You know, I, I don't like this whole thing of, like, it's a street track, so it's bad. Singapore is incredible, and that's a street track. So... I am holding out my opinion on this track until we actually see it, as most people should, but I do think it is a good move. We reported like a few months ago this was in the works. Remember when the new F1 Experience Museum thing came out? I think that was first released in Madrid, and back then you had uh, Stefano uh, Domenicali talking about a Madrid Grand Prix, so I'm not surprised this has come from there. But yeah, I, I hold out uh, my opinion on it, but I'm looking forward to it because I'm not a huge fan of the Circuit du Catalunya. On a more positive note, though, this is actually the biggest story of the week, and it revolves around Pierre Gasly, because Pierre Gasly has been on a bit of a holiday recently with his girlfriend, and he's gone to London, which, you know, I hear London is wonderful in the winter. Uh, people will rob you and then say Merry Christmas. It's, it's a lovely time. But he went to one of London's top attractions, which is Madame Two Swords, which is a waxwork museum of celebrities and stuff. And have a look here who he's had a photo with. There you go. Look at that. It's Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis has uh, commented as well, asking why he wasn't tagged in the photo. It's, it's a whole thing. I hope Gasly enjoyed his holiday. There you go. Right, that was some news. Let's move on now to talk about Tail Share. The current F2 champion won the title in Abu Dhabi, uh, but he will not be competing in Formula 1 next year. And of course, he can't go back to F2 as he's won the title. But he may be competing in Super Formula because he's going to be taking part in the post-season rookie test that happens between the 6th and the 8th of December. That would have actually already happened by now. Uh, he is the Sauber Junior driver. Uh, and yeah, he's taking part in the Super Formula test. I haven't actually heard any news from this so far. But, you know, hopefully he'll do something. Because one of my pet peeves in F1 at the minute with young drivers is you have a really talented youth driver Instead of having them race for a year, they just stand behind a, behind a team principal for a year. And as much as you know, they probably do get some fantastic knowledge and experience from that. I imagine they would gain more 
knowledge and experience for actually driving a car than you're standing there doing nothing. Uh, and speaking of people standing there doing nothing, let's talk about Jack Doohan. He's in the Alpine Academy. He was also in F2 this year, uh, his third and final year in F2. And as for what he's doing next year, it's hard to tell. Because it's reported this week that he has rejected an opportunity to, to race for IndyCar next season. So a Speed Cafe revealed that Jack Doohan would not return to F2 as there is little value in a third year in the feeder country. I thought he'd already had his third year. Uh, but he has confirmed this, saying, at the minute, I don't have anything set to race. We have quite a lot of options in sub-formulas and inside formulas other than F1. The opportunity, so not that the opportunities were shy. Super Formula, IndyCar, Hypercar, whatever it was, I have I was very fortunate to have those options. However, at this point in time, I feel it's crucial to focus only on Formula One, which is heavily provided by Alpine. Uh, that I'm able to, which is heavily provided by Alpine, that I'm able to stay within a car. Okay. Uh, Duan was also in the frame for a WEC drive of Alpine. Well, it's not come to pass. I think that might have been the seat that went to Mick in the end. Uh, Duan will remain as Alpine's reserve driver for next year. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one because I really think he probably should have taken the, the IndyCar seat. It would have been a lot more valuable to him. And also, you know, the Alpine Academy is famous for having some very talented drivers that we never, ever see and eventually have to leave. Like, you know, they had Oscar Piastri for years and he was never getting that seat until McLaren tried to rip him away and did rip him away. I mean, they offered him the seat because Alonso left, but by then it was too late. He'd already been sat on the sidelines for too long. And, you know, we see how good he is now and that's with a couple of years of not racing. So the Alpine Academy is an interesting one. Jack Dewan's place in it is also a very interesting one because I would not be surprised if in the coming year Jack Dewan goes from the number one Alpine junior to the number two Alpine junior because Victor Martins is right there. Now, I was surprised to learn that Victor Martins is actually older than Jack Dewan, but uh, Martins had his rookie season F2 this year. Dewan on his second or third year in F2 this year, and Dewan did beat Martins only by like a few points I think it was like 5 or 6 points separate the two of them Victor Martins looking very good would not be surprised if he was one of the contenders for the F2 title this year so in terms of the Alpine juniors I would not be surprised if Martins replaced Dewan as the number one guy coming forward and then we're going to look back at Dewan turning down this IndyCar seat and go mate you really really should have gone for that I think this is a wasted opportunity here for Jack Dewan who is very talented. We saw that certainly this year. He wasn't in that title fight. I think the first half of the F2 year, he just wasn't really on it. But in the second half, he really came into it and was very talented. Won the last race of the year, of course. But yeah, I think this is a missed opportunity for Jack Dewan. And there you go. The very long news video has finally come to an end. That's our last story of the week. As I said, Advent Calendar is still coming out every single day. The reacting to the predictions video is there if you can handle the bad audio. We'll have another video coming out on Friday. There's loads of stuff coming up on the channel. All that and more available for you this week. So make sure you like and subscribe. Until next time though, have a good one. I'll see you then. Goodbye.